Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. These were the oldest, ugliest, dirtiest airplanes you could ever imagine seeing. Welcome to episode 38 of The Great Fail, a podcast that examines the greatest success stories and their spectacular fails. What led to the demise of the most prolific people, brands, and companies? I am your host, Deborah Chen, and this week we'll be looking at Trump Shuttle. On the afternoon of October 10th, 1989, three longtime Trump casino executives and two pilots boarded a helicopter in New York City. They were en route to Atlantic City after promoting an upcoming highly anticipated boxing match between junior welterweights Hector Camacho and Vinny Pazienza. 50 miles into the flight, disaster struck. The rotors stopped spinning and detached, tumbling through the air. The helicopter went into a tailspin, spiraling downward until it fell into a wooded area along the New Jersey coastline. It crashed into a median on the Garden State Parkway. There were no survivors. The media anxiously stood by for more information on the deadly crash, but it would be Mr. Donald Trump that eventually stole the show when he revealed his own brush with death. He told a reporter that he had been slated to be on that flight with his casino executives, but by sheer luck was pulled out of the chopper last minute due to another engagement. In other words, he was lucky to be alive. The media went into a frenzy with headlines like, Donald Trump narrowly escapes death with helicopter crash, and Donald Trump decided not to go at the last minute. That was only four months after Trump launched Trump Shuttle, and the world was about to discover that there was a lot more to that story. Welcome to the story of Trump Shuttle, soaring through the skies in 1989, headed into its final descent in 1992. I once interviewed a Pan Am executive and he told me something I will never forget. 
he posed it as a riddle and asked, what's the fastest way a billionaire becomes a millionaire? His answer, invest in an airline. Before Elon Musk, Richard Branson, and Jeff Bezos were investing in flights to outer space, the uber-wealthy had their sights set a little lower, looking to own their own private jets and sometimes even their own airlines. Maybe there's something inherently sexy about seeing your logo in the clouds against an endless, undisturbed backdrop, not to mention the ability to control travel that exuded a prestige of unfettered power. As you might be able to imagine, it's difficult to operate an airline, but it's even more challenging to make that airline profitable, taking in account fuel costs, upkeep of planes, labor unions, and the cost of competition. But in 1989, all of the challenges were nothing for Donald J. Trump, who graced the covers of Time magazine with the byline, young, handsome, and ridiculously rich. He had just acquired Trump Plaza earlier, and with his growing casinos in Atlantic City, 42-year-old Trump was looking to further boost his flashy business brand by adding a luxury airline into his empire. Now let me bring you back in time, because that time period had a lot to do with the rise and fall of Trump Shuttle. And 1989 was an exceptional time period. The world was on the edge, being on the cusp of turning a new decade. There were racial tensions that spanned across the United States, but also worldwide with the fall of the Berlin Wall that would forever change Europe. There were the Gen Xers who were highly educated yet co-emerged with the birth of MTV, claiming their stake in pop culture. And while the market was bracing itself with what would be a real estate bubble, Trump had just purchased the ultra-posh Plaza Hotel for $390 million and was about to buy his own airline. Back in the late 80s, there were only a handful of East Coast commuter airlines that were providing short-distance flights, serving the Eastern Seaboard, and one of them was Eastern Airlines. Eastern Airlines in the 1960s started a no-reservation air shuttle between New York City and both Boston and Washington, D.C. And the premise of this was, as long as you showed up before the flight left, you were guaranteed a seat. And in the days before 9-11, it was easy to do this. Security was lighter. Airlines didn't have to have formal reservations. There was no passenger security list that had to be screened beforehand for security reasons. This is Henry Hartvelt, principal at Atmosphere Research. And in 1989, Trump recruited Hartvelt to be his marketing director for Trump Shuttle. Eastern Airlines was acquired in 1986 by Texas Air Corporation, which owned Continental Airlines. The company's chairman, Frank Lorenzo, wanted to make Eastern a more cost-effective airline. And in the process of trying to do that, he ran into a lot of trouble with the airlines, with Eastern Airlines labor unions. So to make Eastern a more cost-effective airline, he decided that he would start selling off some of Eastern Airlines assets. 
And so this is where Trump came in. They met at a party and ideas started flying. In 1989, or maybe been 1988, Lorenzo did a backdoor deal with Donald Trump. Now, there was nothing illegal about this. It was a private transaction between the two where the Trump organization would acquire the assets of the Eastern Airlines shuttle and run it as an airline independent of Eastern under the brand name Trump Air. Eastern's labor unions sued. And they said that the shuttle was a very valuable asset and that its price should be set by the open market. And uh, at the time, I was working at Continental Airlines, and I believe that the initial purchase price was $275 million. That's how much the Trump Organization is going to pay Texas Air for the Eastern shuttle. The shuttle was indeed put into an open bid in 1989. In March of 1989, the Trump Organization was the successful bidder. The independent analysis of the shuttle valued the airline at the time at roughly $300 million. In the bidding for the shuttle, the final two airlines, excuse me, bidders were Trump and America West. And Trump paid $365 million to acquire the assets of the shuttle. That got him 25 airplanes, roughly a thousand or so employees, takeoff and landing slots at LaGuardia, Boston, and Washington. And from there, Mr. Trump set off to build the airline. As Hartvelt explained, the original deal was supposed to be in the vicinity of $200 million. But when Eastern's labor union raised hell in the process for the sale, the bids kept going higher and higher until Trump came in with the highest bid at $365 million. During that time, the only other real competitor to Eastern was airline behemoth Pan Am. And similar to Eastern, both of their regional legs offered a really cool, unique feature that appealed to their customer base, a no-reservation system, which meant you as a passenger could just show up without a reservation and be guaranteed a seat on the outbound flight. Anytime, anywhere, their service routes permitted. At one point, Eastern had about 75% of market share, but due to an aging fleet and labor conflicts, they saw its market share fall about 14%. When Trump took over, he had a few tricks up his sleeves. Spend a ton of money on refurbishing his planes? Check. Spend a ton of money on marketing and branding? Check. Poach talent from the competition? Check. And what he created was an advantageous tailwind by hiring former Pan Am shuttle president Bruce Nobles to run Trump shuttle. Bruce asked me if I would like to become the airline's marketing director. So I did. In March of 89, I went to work for the Trump organization as the marketing director for Trump shuttle was one of the first employees hired there and worked on helping to build the brand, what the marketing positioning of the brand of the airline would be, advertising, frequent flyer program, promotions, other things like that. We had a sales department. We had, of course, all the other functions an airline or almost any business would have, but I oversaw the marketing. And for $365 million came about 21 of the oldest 727 airplanes. 
and landing rights, and access to the airport infrastructure in three cities. And of course, the ability to rebrand Eastern. When we acquired the Eastern shuttle, these were 25 of the oldest, ugliest, dirtiest airplanes you could ever imagine seeing. Eastern was doing the bare minimum in maintenance to keep these planes flying. Eastern was almost broke at the time. So Donald Trump had promised people a diamond in the sky. And I remember telling him, well, we're going to have to start with cubic zirconium. Trump spent $1 million to refurbish each plane. The planes were repainted with the red T insignia along with his name emblazoned on the side of the plane. But it was what was inside the plane that shocked everyone. Leather seats, thick carpet, chrome buckles. Just imagine the lavishness and ostentatious guise of the 80s. It was the Trump brand to its core and more luxurious than you'd find on any other commercial flights. It was gorgeous. The seatbelt buckles were chrome-plated and had the Trump shuttle logo embossed in them. The bulkheads, the cabin bulkheads, had bird's-eye maple veneer paneling on it. Again, with the chrome Trump shuttle logo, the big T. The lavatories were refurbished with faux marble. There are a lot of stories out there saying we put real marble in. We did not put real marble in the lavatories. Faux marble countertops, brass-colored gold faucets, things like that. It was very, very posh. But the thing is, these were airplanes that were literally in the air for no more than 30 minutes at a time. The shuttle was a utility, and Mr. Trump wanted us to make it a luxury airline. The in-flight meals were steak and lobster, champagne and fine whiskey. But there were other perks, some unconventional but all very impressive, that came along with being part of the Trump Shuttle Club. Mr. Trump invested in the cabins. He invested in the meals that we served. They were these snack boxes, but we served delicious food on these flights. A lot of people would take it away to eat in their offices or at home, but we viewed everything as a branding exercise. We invested in a lot in direct marketing as well as advertising. We did some very clever promotions. We were the first airline to ever have a real professional concierge at our airports who could make restaurant reservations for you, arrange for your dry cleaning and laundry to be taken care of, send flowers to your spouse or to whoever you want, take care of arranging your kid's birthday party. And these people were phenomenal. We gave our flight attendants very professional looking uniforms with faux, again, not real pearl necklaces and pearl earrings as you know accessories. It was a very, very sharp, very, very professional, very upscale brand. Behind the beautifully closed doors, Hartvelt and his team continued to put their heads down, focusing on their brand messaging to encapsulate punctuality and reliability. They understood that what the audience cared most about were these two factors. And so they came up with an ad campaign. 7 a.m. does not mean 7.01 a.m. And boy, did it work. Within six months, 
Trump shuttles market share shot up from 14% to 50%, and they found themselves brushing elbows and transporting some pretty heavy hitters and dignitaries. And we were carrying dignitaries. We were carrying a lot of VIPs. We were carrying business executives. And yeah, we were carrying a lot of mid-level management and students and leisure travelers too. But what we then realized is part of what made Trump shuttle special was some of the people you might see on the planes. So as the brand became more mature and we developed the reputation for being punctual, we then shifted to another marketing message, which was basically never know who you run into on the Trump shuttle. And this is where we capitalized on something unique to the Trump brand, which was the celebrity, but not Mr. Trump's celebrity. Tip O'Neill was a passenger on our shuttle. Dr. Ruth flew Trump shuttle. Other VIPs and well-known individuals flew Trump shuttle. Even as the team celebrated their success pulling an ailing airline out of a nosedive, no one predicted the harsh winds that would soon blow them off course and into their own early descent. Some would say Trump's shuttle was cursed from the start, beginning with the chopper crash four months after launching the shuttle. While the helicopter was not part of the Trump shuttle, the loss of the executives on board had repercussions across the entire business empire. The void in casino management affected a lot of the business decisions and business law. It was a terrible loss and made for a very tragic start to a new venture. And then there was the competition, which wasn't so bad except that Trump chose to go after industry players and pretty publicly. So there's this unwritten rule in the airline business that you should never attack another carrier's maintenance and safety. But shortly after the Trump shuttle's first flight, with no real proof, Trump himself railed against Pan Am publicly, criticizing their safety and maintenance record, citing unsafe flights. He suggested that the company was strapped for cash and couldn't spend as much to maintain their planes. Call it karma, but less than two months later, it was a Trump shuttle flight that made an emergency landing in Boston where the plane's front landing gear malfunctioned. Thankfully, no one on board was injured, but it was the harbinger of trouble to come. Even with the bad PR moves, it was really the poor financials that were draining the life out of the company. Starting an airline by overpaying for it was already a death trap. But on top of that, spending even more money to deck it out when it didn't contribute to top line had become lethal to their business model. Trump shuttle had never been profitable and continued bleeding cash. It turned out that all of those luxury features Chrome furnishings, marble floors, brass handles were really weighing down the plane, literally. Now, the plan for the airline was not just to have a small airline going between Boston, New York, and Washington. We had hoped that 
we would be able to grow the airline to have a larger footprint, add more routes, add more cities, and turn it into more than just an air shuttle. But because we weren't making money and because the Trump Organization was running into other financial challenges, we weren't able to achieve that. But it was what would come next that would be the final death knell for Trump shuttle. In late 1989 came an economic recession that brought with it rising unemployment rates and less leisure and work travel. Then, in August of 1990, Iraq invaded Kuwait. And as a result, jet fuel prices doubled. In 1991, when the Gulf War hit, that affected travel all over the world, not just the Trump shuttle. It affected all airlines everywhere. Travel just dried up. And that made it more difficult for the Trump organization and the Trump shuttle to pay off its debts. Citibank was the lead banker. And somewhere between the end of 1991, beginning of 1992, Citibank stepped in and effectively took over the shuttle and subsequently brought in U.S. Air to run the shuttle, which then later acquired the assets of the shuttle and became the U.S. Air Shuttle. This not only took a toll on the airline businesses, but also the casino businesses. Trump's lack of airline experience soon became painfully apparent as he was unable to maneuver the airline during a time of crisis. It was overcapitalized and hemorrhaging money. And by the end of 1990, Trump shuttle had lost $128 million, with half of the staff being laid off. Trump was also forced to cede control over several business holdings to his bankers to avoid personal bankruptcy it was becoming clear that the Trump shuttle wasn't going to emerge out of the rubble. And in 1992, its fleet of planes sat empty in their lots, never to fly the Trump logo again. And so... With one of the more bizarre endings in aviation history, what were the lessons here? Well, the lessons are first, no matter how much you want something, you have to be really careful about how much you pay for that. Because if you're going to spend more than something is worth, you need to have a very solid business plan on how you plan to repay that. Now, I will just say this. I'm not going to discuss politics, but I will say that Mr. Trump was a terrific CEO to work with. He was one of the most focused on marketing. He was certainly no pushover. But if we could make the case on a promotion to do or why we needed to invest in marketing and he liked it, you know, we've made our case, he would approve that. So it's another case study, by the way, or another point to the case study would be having a CEO who believes in marketing is really important. But what I would also add is you need to have flexibility to evolve your product to the marketplace. We arguably didn't need 25 airplanes, and we didn't need the airplanes that we got. We should have taken somewhere between probably 15 and 20 aircraft, and we should have used smaller airplanes to better mix and match supply and demand. Fast 
following the publicity around Trump's harrowing escape from death in 1989's tragic helicopter crash, he would go on interviews months later saying that the shock of the crash made him realize just how fragile life was. Near-death experiences have that effect on people. But years later, it was revealed by several eyewitness accounts, including Trump's former VP of construction, that the entire story of him originally scheduled to be on that chopper was just that, a story. That it was fabricated, it wasn't true, and was only an attempt to gain publicity on the back end of a tragedy. Whether fact or fiction, ultimately it seemed all for naught because the Trump shuttle barely made it off the runway. Special thanks to Henry Hartfelt for his contributions to this episode and sharing his experience and insight from working at Trump Shuttle. And thank you for tuning in to this week's The Great Fail. Please make sure to visit our website at thegreatfail.com for behind-the-scene audio and video footage. If you like these episodes and want us to continue bringing you more, please subscribe to our newsletter because, well, not connecting with you would be our great fail. While you're at it, simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us out too. The research on each episode is extensive, but none of them would be possible without the tireless efforts of researchers, writers, and reporters. They are all credited on thegreatfail.com under our show notes. Lastly, you can connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Great Fail Pod. And please subscribe, rate, review this podcast on iTunes to show your support. We'll be back in two weeks with a brand new episode. And remember, folks, with great failure comes great liability. Hi.